Hello accountants and financial planners. Welcome to In The Slipstream FM, the podcast designed to help you run a better business. Such a terrific episode in store for you today. I'm Scott Charlton from Slipstream Group, and in today's show, we're going to explore the oh-so-vital issue of existing team members becoming owners of professional practices. Here at Slipstream, We've been seeing a lot of this activity with the firms that we're working with. This stems from a combination of firms growing in exciting ways and wanting to lock key team members into the firm for the long term, along with current owners planning for their exit. This interview coincides with a significant development project we have recently concluded, being the creation of two very important guides, one for the incoming equity holders and one for current owners. More on this later. For the main part of this episode, I'll be speaking to an expert who advises practitioners in this area all the time. I'm sure that you will find her insights particularly helpful. Let's get started. Now here's some great ideas for your firm, where we're all about success on your terms. Get the knowledge, the tools and insights from special guests. Everything you need to become your very best. So come and build the business of your dreams. Settle in and listen now to In The Slipstream. And welcome back. Today's guest is Fiona Ettles who is a leading member of the Business Valuation and Advisory Team at Accrue Hobart. Fiona is actually the second guest from Accrue Hobart that we've had on the show, with a previous guest on episode 31 being Tim Lane speaking about practice valuations. Fiona is doubly qualified to speak about employees becoming equity owners. As well as advising practitioners all around Australia on this topic, Fiona has recently undergone this process herself, becoming a shareholder at Accrue Hobart. Nothing like personal experience to add weight to her insights. I've been looking forward to the conversation because of the interest that this topic generates in the Slipstream community. Not only that, but we here at Slipstream are also in the process of bringing some key team members in as shareholders, which we see as an important step forward in securing the future. Come and I'll introduce you to Fiona. I'm sure we're in for an interesting discussion. I started the interview by asking her what is more challenging, advising others on buying into a firm or doing it oneself. Very good question, Scott. Uh, I think probably advising other people to buy into a practice purely because uh, I was very fortunate. I'd had 11 years experience in the practice that I brought into as well as um, multiple years of valuation experience. So to me, uh, it was largely based on the relationships as well as my own understanding of the business. So I think it's harder helping other people make massive life decisions really. Um, where, you know, particularly they don't have the skill set on accounting knowledge or anything like that, that's particularly hard to overcome. Great. 
Okay. So, for the benefit of the listeners, would you please give us just a brief review of your career to date? Sure. So, I started at Accrue Hobart back in 2009 when I was 18. I did university part-time, worked full-time and completed my Chartered Accountants program. Uh, and then when Courtney went on maternity leave the first time was really when I jumped into the deep end. Mm -hmm. and we, Tim and I were doing a lot of valuation work at the time. So that was really my first foray into valuation work in detail. Up until then, I'd really been in the background. So uh, 14 years in accounting, three years in business ownership, and a lot of years of valuation with Courtney and Tim at this stage. Great. So would you please describe the type of work you do now and who you do it for? Sure. So most of our valuation work is in professional services businesses, uh, mainly financial planning and accounting, but with a few law firms thrown in for good judgment. And then uh, while I've got that valuation work on the side, I do some succession planning around that as well. We believe valuations as a standalone are really a blunt instrument. So we're always interested in what work comes from them. Um, so that might be succession planning, helping people enter or exit businesses and really using the valuation actually as a tool in their business. Great. I'll get you to talk uh, about some contradictory terminology, if, uh, if I may. Uh, there's a lot of talk in the professions about partners and partnerships and partnership agreements, and yet the actual legal reality is more about companies and shareholders and directors. Um, do you find that contradictory? Absolutely. It's quite antiquated, but it is even confusing in our industry because whilst you would likely buy shares in a company and become a director of that company over time, so there are companies that still publish directors and partners on one website, and it's always hard to know which role is actually which within that business. So, it is quite confusing in the industry as a whole, but more often than not these days, people are buying into a company, buying shares and becoming a director over time. Great. What was it that first interested you about becoming an owner at Accrue Hobart? Sure. So Michael and Tim of Accrue Hobart, Michael Burnett and Tim Lane, uh, certainly gave me a chance when I was young and they really basically said to me that, well, you've got the right attitude, so come in and, and have a go. And that was part of a legacy that I wanted to continue on, encouraging young people to have a go in, in a career and get started and really encouraging a, a community of people who cared about one another, who they worked with. And so that part of, of the legacy of a crew Hobart is something I wanted to carry on. And I thought that was something I was passionate enough about to, to be able to have an impact on. Great answer. <laughs> I really like that. Uh, so how and when did the actual pathway to equity come about? Sure. So I was thinking about this in preparation today. I actually remember a conversation in one of our hallways at work where I said to Courtney, <laughs> is that something you could ever envisage me being able to do? And she went, yeah, why not? And I thought, well, okay, that's, you know, it's not off the, the table. So it was something that I thought about up in the lead up to Michael's retirement. It was something that we all knew that Michael was retiring. We knew the time frame. We knew that they were looking for someone else to buy into the business. And it was something that I thought at that stage, well, this might be my opportunity. Great. 
So what went well with your pathway that others should seek to emulate? Sure. So my valuation experience was a help. Yes. Um, absolutely a help there. I think having been with the business for 10 and a half, 11 years at that stage, knowing the business well and knowing the people really helped me as well. And Michael also had a great plan where we met for lunch each fortnight. We'd bring our own lunch, we'd meet in the meeting room and we would discuss, you know, the topic for that week really. So sometimes it would be a list of questions I'd fire at Michael. Sometimes it would be, you know, Michael wanted to talk me through a project he had on or um, something like that. But on the whole, we were meeting fortnightly on the lead up the last 12 to 18 months, even before I brought in. Um, just to go through business ownership and what it would look like for me. Great. So from being probably a very good technician and focusing on being the best that you could be in that area, uh, your role has doubtless evolved and there's more uh, responsibility for client relationships, even bringing in new clients to the firm. And doubtless there's a whole lot of managerial type things that have found their way to your desk uh, so how have you found that and would you have any tips for others who might find themselves in a similar situation? Sure. It was a really interesting transition because I was uh, 1 July 2020, which was, you know, during COVID itself, <laughs> uh, just for some added flair there. Um, absolutely more managerial work. I think the biggest change um, in my role is that you used to go to work and focus solely on your own job and doing client work yourself. And now you can go to work and you can have a day where you spend the whole day with the team, you know, going from one team member reviewing work to another team member, um, solving problems on the phone with clients. And you might get to the end of the day and not know what to put on your timesheet, <laughs> but you've actually had a really successful day. Yes. And as a team, the team's gotten a lot further than we would get individually. But that's a big mind shift because you can sometimes get to the end of the day and think I've done nothing today and actually look back at the day and think, no, I did do lots. It was just through the team that we achieved lots. And that's probably the biggest impact um, in my day-to-day. Managerial-wise, absolutely a lot um, to, to go with every day. Six months in, our practice manager left due to ill health. So it sort of turned into a little bit of a partner and practice manager role for a little while there. Uh, so I was across, you know, renewing insurances, ASIC changes, oh, uh, making sure everyone made their slipstream meetings, <laughs> <That's> uh, <laughs> uh, data entry on slipstream up, all sorts of things like that, just to keep the background running as well. So that was something we'd sort of identified that I would be the admin partner, so to speak, the uh, corporate governance focus there. Right. So as you're coming into the business, uh, Michael, a very experienced practitioner, is heading for the exit. So what's going through your mind? Is it sort of like apprehensive, oh, golly, uh, sort of like what are we going to do without Michael? Or was it sort of joy and, and, and hope that sort of, gosh, well, now we'll make some changes around here? Both, mainly okay. apprehension. Right. Uh, so Michael has been a professional and personal mentor for most of the people within our firm. Uh, 29 years in one business has meant that he's employed most of the people in our business. Mm -hmm. So it was a major role to lose in our in our team. There was apprehension as to, you know, client handover and things. On the whole, most clients have transferred really well. Probably a little bit of enthusiasm for some change that we can create as new partners so we can say to clients, long-term clients, well, 
I know you've only received an annual bill up until now, but we are going to bill you quarterly. Uh, we are going to smooth your cash flow and ours and, and things like that. We can get away with some of those things that we've been doing with the wider team. So some enthusiasm of being able to keep clients as much as we can in a hom homogenous form of trying to keep everyone consistent um, and not have any special types of clients who get special deals. Right. So fast forward to the end of your career, and what are some of the things that you've learned in the process of coming in that you'll seek to emulate on the way out? So I think communication is the biggest point. I really did value Michael's communication and those regular touch points. So that's something I want to focus on. I want the person buying in to have valuation understanding as well. And that may be that they might be a more generalised accountant and I can help talk them through that. We can have some education sessions and things like that. And then it comes down to documentation that we would have at that stage as well. So, you know, shareholder agreements for them to review, um, director's duties. So we'll actually have um, fully defined roles and things for them by that stage as well, which will be really beneficial in helping inform them as to what their future looks like. So they can make informed decisions and know where they fit within the partnership team. There's one of the antiquated terms, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thanks very much. Um, I'll get you to, to give some insights into some scenarios that uh, I'm sure come up reasonably frequently. Uh, the first one being from the point of view of somebody who's incoming. Uh, we have a bright young thing, someone mm -hmm. like you who's like no previous experience of being an owner but wanting to advance in the firm. Over time, there's been vague discussions about uh, with the current owners about buying in, but the person really isn't sure as to what happens next. There may have been some discussions in terms of what and when, but it's all up in the air. So what should a person in this situation be doing? Sure. So there's a few things here. It comes back to one of Michael's quotes when I was buying in that uh, he would never push me or anyone else in our firm to buy in and he wouldn't make meetings if I didn't follow through on them or anything like that. So you have to have a keen interest and you have to want the opportunity yourself and not just wait for it to be handed to you. I'd encourage the bright young thing uh, to ask what timing and metrics need to be met to be able to buy in. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of conversation in this sort of area which sometimes leads to no outcome. Yes. And so I'd be revisiting it, asking the current owners what training I would need to do, uh, what qualifications I might need to achieve to be in the position to do so. And then I'd be doing some research myself of, you know, my financing capabilities, mm -hmm. what roles I might be able to take on and things like that. Then it really comes down to a lot of the time we see bright sparks fade and, and either become disengaged or actually leave the business because of inaction. Mm. So I'd really be encouraging them to have conversations with the business owners and say, look, this is something I really want to pursue. Mm. If it's not in their cards for me here, let's talk about it mm. so they can be upfront. A lot of the time it gets to the point where we've got the business owner on the phone saying, they've resigned, what am I going to do? <laughs> and it could have been resolved had had they had frank and honest conversations. So yes. a lot of the time I'd encourage the bright young thing, not in a confrontational way, but just to have a conversation and say, look, this is something I really want to do. Mm. Can we can we put some time into it? Can we make it a slipstream project to really get underway and, and take some action? Lovely. Second scenario for you. Uh, so we've got a sole owner of a professional services firm, age 59. 
uh, and the capital value of the firm is an important part of his retirement planning. There's two current team members who are potentially ownership material. Somebody who's aged 31 has been at the firm for four years and another person, 27, who's been at the firm for three. Technically both are strong, but they've been backroom team members. So how best to broach the issue of partnership and succession with them and how best to make this happen? Sure. So this is one where the inaction while you're trying to grow the capital value can be a little bit risky. Yes. So if I was the principal in retirement phase, I'd be really planning my exit, both in understanding my valuation now and also understanding what my valuation will be in two or three years time. There's not a need to have a full sale in most of these financial planning businesses unless you are looking to exit in a you know, speedy fashion. So what I'd really be doing is understanding my current valuation and thinking about what metrics I could put in place for the two incoming successes to both grow the value of my business and therefore my retirement package, mm -hmm. but also while tying them in early on. Mm -hmm. So it may be something like a, a 5 or 10% equity holding each at the beginning mm -hmm. and then having some metrics in place to grow their their stake and um, to issue more tranches over the next two to three years until retirement. And then I'd really be looking at letting them grow into the role, what training we could do with them, what networks we could put them in touch with and things to grow them into the role that they'll need as practitioner. So get them out of the back office and really get them client facing and comfortable with that role over a 12-month, 18-month period at least while that principle is there because the worst thing they could do is you know, leave the, the two practitioners who are not used to dealing with clients yes. um, without having that knowledge and experience and the, the warm client handover. It's adequate time for them to do a succession plan and actually do a staged approach, which often by introducing equity to someone early on means that they grow their tranche as well as the business owner existing and then they can have a higher reward on their way out while minimising the risk that that person won't leave in the meantime. Great. So considering the two scenarios, somebody who looks like they could and should buy in uh, and the other scenario is somebody who's got half an eye on the exit, what do you see happening in practice? Sure. So it's something where in that scenario where you've got an older practitioner who's looking to retire and it is material to their retirement, oftentimes we're seeing them hold on and say, oh, no, I've got to grow the value to a certain stage before I can sell. And that's where that risk of that bright young spark leaving because mm. we've, we've talked about it for three or four years. I just don't think the equity is going to happen. So to me, it's really important that they communicate along the way. And that's where the early stages, often we say, you know, a smaller slice of a bigger pie. And then having a staged succession plan over a 12-month, 18-month, three-year period um, helps exit and everyone succeed. Are there any other problems that can arise? Absolutely. I've seen a heartbreaking case where, you know, a client had a young successor tied in who had a terminal diagnosis oh. and unfortunately passed away. And um, that just absolutely derailed, obviously, the succession plan. <laughs> but also really set her back um, because it was such a loss to the business uh, and it takes a long time to build back from that. Wow. So there's scenarios <laughs> like that. Uh, there's slightly more positive ones yeah. where, you know, in a regional area someone might move to the city with a family member or spouse uh, and take other opportunities and things like that. So it's really about 
the sooner you can tie in your outcome, the better off you'll be most of the time. There's obviously business disputes and divorces and things along the way that can impact it, but on the whole, uh, arranging succession earlier is a is a good good thing to do. Great. Um, so you've made some excellent points about the importance of communication. Um, are there any other recommendations in terms of what the party should do during the process? I think it's really important to be transparent as a business owner with an incoming successor because a lot of the time they don't know what they need. The other issue you've got with incoming successes is it's often not the person buying in that you have to worry about so much. It may be their centre of influence. So it's reasonable to say, okay, well, I don't need to give you, you know, an information memorandum on the business. You work here. You understand all the risks and everything. But a lot of the time we actually find that it's, you know, the successor's uh, spouse who has lots of concern about mortgaging the house and putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into a business. They may not know the parties as well. So being forthcoming in your information is really useful as well. Having your information, having a valuation methodology that is discussed and understood, whether that's independent or a long-standing mechanism that you use, it should always link to the profit though. So on the whole, to me, it really does come down to communication and understanding it. It may be uh, that you need to target your communication to other areas and provide other information to plug other gaps as well, though. Great. Okay. So, Fiona, focusing upon new equity owners now, uh, it's fair to say that somebody who might be a brilliant young accountant, financial planner, or have some other role in the firm is likely to be quite green in terms of being a business owner when the opportunity uh, arises to buy in. I'm thinking particularly those people who don't deal with business structures and those sorts of things that are advising business owners on a day-to-day basis. So how can such a person best get up to speed with knowledge of the legal entities and structuring transactions and raising finance? Sure. So there's a few aspects here. I think a mentor is really important in this area as well. If you can find someone who's done this style transaction themselves before in the last 10 or 15 years even, they can be a really valuable resource. Mm-hmm. I think reaching out to your Slipstream network for that sure. is a great a great skill. We're part of the accrue group, so we've got those people inside our accrue group as well as Slipstream, so we're fortunate there. Then I think it comes down to talking to a professional, meeting mm-hmm. with an accountant and saying, what sort of structures would I be set up in, Mm -hmm. what should I be looking for, what planning can I do now, meeting with a good quality mortgage broker. I say good quality because a lot of the time you can go to one and they can just say, oh, we'll just draw back on your home loan. That may not actually be the best thing for you. (laughs) So oftentimes actually getting some really quality advice there can be beneficial. And then absolutely accountant, structural advice, but also transaction support. So there are people out there who actually focus on supporting with a buy side approach. Okay. And that's where you know they evaluate the valuation you've been given. They ask any questions that you might not know. Mm-hmm. And then they can go through and say, okay, well, are the terms and the valuation reasonable? What's your payback period? They can help you calculate that and link any loans to that as well. And then they can support with the structural advice from there. A lot of the time we find people jump straight into structures and go and proceed and get you know $3,000 worth of structures set up yes. and sometimes the transaction then falls over. Right. So to me that's always 
once a, a deal has been agreed, yes. but you should know what you're setting up. Yes. And even if you don't have accounting or structure advice, you should be able to have such an explanation that you can then understand what you're yes. setting up and how it will work for you. Great. Now, I really liked the, uh, the little lunch and learn sessions you had with Michael. I think that's just uh, inspired. Uh, any other ways in which an employer can assist the learning curve of somebody who's pretty green to being in business? So one of the things we've done there is we actually have a Zoom coffee chat with another firm in our Slipstream group. Okay. So to me, if I was helping someone buy into our business, I would be setting them up with like-minded people uh-huh. um, in our network, whether yes. that's local or interstate. Yes. So what we do, we have a Zoom catch-up every couple of months. We make a cup of coffee. We sit on Zoom for an hour with another colleague in another business and we talk about issues we're having in the office. So if you're buying in, having a conversation about, well, I've got this information, I've got these questions, how did you manage this? Uh, what what happened next for you, that would be really beneficial. So making connections and helping them get out there in that way would be useful. I really like that. So in a typical situation for that, if there is one, how long would a process take from sort of like when a, 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 an opportunity is first raised with a, a team member through to to when when it, it actually the deal actually happens. So how, how long does that typically take and how long should it take? Sure. So firstly there's no typical. Okay, right, yes. There are so many different scenarios. Yes. I would I, twelve to eighteen months is a really good lead time. Okay. It gives people enough time to get really familiar with the business and the yes. their expectations and the operations of the business, which they probably haven't been exposed to before. So, for example, when I was buying in, I was actually involved in partners' meetings for the 10 months before I brought in, which was really great exposure. It gave me insight into the the issues the partners were dealing with and and really an understanding of the the day-to-day operations of the business as well. So I've seen them occur in four or five months. Everything has to go right for a transaction to occur in that sort of a time frame. Often, though, six to 12 months is not unrealistic. Yes. Not many would occur less than six months. There's yes. a lot to do. There's, you know, a valuation to obtain. There's some due diligence to, to do, structure advice, financing, yes. uh, contracts and things like that. Oftentimes, yes. it's a shareholders agreement in that process as well. Yes. So six months is pretty pretty reasonable time frame. 12 yes. months is, is fine as well. It's when they stretch out beyond 18 months, two years, that it starts to get a little bit, will it happen, won't it happen? Yes. So if you're advising an incoming equity holder, what are sort of some traps and potential pitfalls that you would keep uh, tell them to keep an eye out for? Sure. Uh, so I'd really be keeping an eye out for obtaining adequate information. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a red flag to me if you're not getting the information you request. And then it's year after year promises of, of equity and nothing happening yes, and that's yes. the other major red flag for people buying in yes other than that to me it's just about frank and honest conversations that you can have with your potential business partners and if you can't have them at this stage uh it's it's really a sign of things to come in your business career so yes. i'd like to think on the whole that most outgoing business owners over time whether it's you know immediately or 10 15 years down the track are forthcoming with information and in those conversations to to have a win-win deal where everybody gets what information they need 
and everybody feels comfortable to proceed. Great. Okay. Now, close to the heart of any incoming uh, purchaser uh, who almost certainly would be sort of borrowing to invest in the firm would be just the ability to be able to A, meet the loan commitment and hopefully B, actually pay off the loan through the dividend stream. Uh, so would you care to comment on on that? Uh, and in particular, what, what sort of period of time would be reasonable to expect to sort of meet that loan commitment? Sure. So if we're advising a client to take out a loan in this sort of area, we'd be trying to encourage them to take a 10-year loan, okay. mainly just so that they're not so heavily up heavily committed up front. Yes. The payback period of accounting and financial planning multiples imply that a, an accounting firm should be able to be paid off in four to five years yes. where the practice is growing and similarly a financial planning firm in six to seven years. Mm -hmm. It depends on the growth that the firms are experiencing though. So if it's slightly lower growth or if there's stages throughout that period of ownership where you know, oftentimes a financial planning firm has to put on another planner and they can you know, incur a significant cost and actually go backwards in profit yes. for a little while until that planner is on their feet. Uh, where that's occurring, obviously that payback period may be longer. Yep. But really you're looking for about a 10-year loan so that you're not under any pressure during that stage and it also allows you to be able to fund the, the tax sure. out of that as yes. well and uh, hopefully get a little bit in the bank to, to make you able to feel your efforts and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and get some sort of benefit from it. So you can see, say to your long-suffering spouse, you see it's all going to happen. It's worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, a third scenario, if I may, Fiona. Um, so if we look at somewhere where basically a deal has been done with a current team member agreeing to terms to buy into the firm, uh, looks like a wonderful win-win all round. Uh, the only problem is that the person has little equity against which they can borrow, uh, possibly because there's a big mortgage on the principal place of residence. So how might we tackle that situation? Sure. So the first start, step for me is actually being honest with the business owner that yes. you're looking to buy equity from. And that way you can tackle it together. Yes. So a lot of the time there's the judgment from the business owner that they won't be able to afford it. Yes. There are always ways we can get around that. I like that. So to me, one of the first steps is meeting with the business banker yes. and asking if there are any options to borrow and secure against the business. Yes. Then there's the option as well of the current existing owners to potentially borrow within the business and reduce the value of the business. Yes. So if you've got a business worth $2 million and then you have a $1 million debt within that business, your share price for the people coming in is $1 million, yes. which is a significant decrease than, than $2 million. And then yes. the shareholders pay that back throughout the business over their lifetime. So... If you're borrowing within the business and flushing out retained earnings or something yes. like that, that can be a really useful mechanism to, yes. to make it more accessible to buy in. Yes. And then the third option really is vendor finance. And that would be something where you'd approach the, the vendor that you're buying the shares from and, and talk about whether or not they can assist you to buy in, whether that's for a short term or the life of the loan, yep. what percentage of dividends you can pay off the loan, what time frame the loan can go over, any interest rate and yes. things like that. On the whole though, if we were encouraging someone to go down a vendor finance pathway, we would still include uh, a portion of cash up front. Yes. Just so there's some skin in the game as well. Yes. It seems reasonable that way. Yeah, great. Okay. 
So for the new owner, return on investment is going to be sort of like paramount. Um, so other than doing one's day job really well, what are some ways that a, a new shareholder might be able to sort of accelerate that and add value to their own investment? Sure. So I think it's looking big picture. Okay. As, as we talked about at the beginning, having that day where you're spending the day with the team and, and not actually getting any of your own work done, that's actually more powerful and yes. you're going to achieve more by focusing on the team there than yes. running your own race. And then I think it comes down to constant improvement, you know, implementing slipstream projects, having a look at other people within groups and within networks that you might be part of, looking at what they're doing, what hints can you take out of it? Is it pricing packages? Is it a pricing uplift on some clients? Making sure that you're staying on top of your game. Small system improvements would help as well. So mm -hmm. if you can get, you know, every team member to be 10 more minutes productive each day, yes. that's all going to add up to quite a lot. Yes. But to me, it really comes down to just focusing on the right things in your business, getting out networking and, and getting new client referrals of ideal clients as well. Yes. It's really beneficial. Yeah. And then, yeah, scale, focusing on pricing and making sure your factory is working efficiently. Take care of those three things and <laughs> you're doing the best you can. Fantastic. Well, Fiona, thank you very much for all those answers you've given. I'm sure it'll go a long way to sort of demystifying the whole process for people who are buying in and for those who are current owners of firms, giving them some insights in terms of how best to, uh, I, I guess, help somebody who's on their team to, to buy in. So, so that's been really great. Uh, tell me if, if anybody would like to follow you up and, and talk to you more specifically about the situation, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Sure. So they can contact our office directly via email or phone. Yes. Um, I'm sure we can pop them on there. Yes, the we'll put those session. in the show notes. Yep. Great. And then all or using LinkedIn. Yes. We do have a discovery call process, which means yes. that, you know, we can schedule you in for a free phone call. We basically help you understand your issue and then see if there's a way we can help, whether that's through uh, spending more time understanding the issue with you or referring you to someone who can help. Yep. So we're big believers in piecing people with the right people to help them solve their problems. So just reach out, phone's often best, uh, give the office a call and we can help you through it. Wow. Thank you so much. Now, you've sailed through all of these questions without a bead of sweat on your brow. So um, before I let you go, I will actually run you through the, uh, the, the Slipstream Rapid Fire Dozen, which I know you've been looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the usual rules apply, Fiona. Uh, five seconds per question. Okay. Are you ready? I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's go. Apple or Android phone? Apple. Favourite form of exercise? Walking. Do you prefer winter or summer? Summer. Are personal tax returns dead or alive? Alive. When there's overtime to be done, would you rather work back late on a Friday or come in early on Saturday? Early on Saturday. If podcast appreciation was a martial art, what colour belt would you be wearing? White, beginner. Yellow, still learning. Blue, very handy. Or black, expert. Yellow. Okay. Other than in the Slipstream FM, of course, what's your favourite podcast? Uh, one of my clients actually has a podcast. Right. So I listen to his podcast. He's a financial planner in the northwest of Tasmania, so I listen to that. Great. What's been your favourite conference destination? 
Ballarat. Okay. What's an expression you're renowned for? Give it your best shot. Okay. What's a book you've read recently from which you've drawn insights or inspiration? I recently reread Fish from the story of Pike Place Market in Seattle. Okay. I always love that one. Nice. All right. Fiona, do you iron your work clothes, A, in batches ahead of time, B, the night before, C, on the morning itself, D, buy only non-ironed work clothes, or E, no idea, iron clothes magically appear in your wardrobe? Buy mainly clothes that don't need ironing. Right, very sensible. Or say they do appear in my wardrobe. All right. So I'm very fortunate. <laughs> That's only the second time I've got that response. Very fortunate. <laughs> and finally, Fiona, do you think you'll live to see the day when there's a female president of the USA? I hope so. Very good. Fiona Edels, thank you very much for being on the Slipstream SN. No worries. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. Well, that concludes my interview with Fiona Edels from Accru Hobart. Doubtless because she specialises in this area, Fiona had some most helpful points to share, made all the more insightful because she herself has in recent years bought into the firm in which she has worked for the majority of her career. I was also impressed with what Fiona shared about her interactions with Michael Burnett were, the outgoing practitioner who made it his mission to prepare Fiona for stepping up into the ranks of equity holders and assuming a much more responsible position in the firm. Well done to both of them for this initiative, which doubtless assisted the transition. During the discussion, I asked Fiona to comment upon three different scenarios which I see quite frequently with the businesses I am coaching. Firstly, an employee who is an outstanding candidate for advancing to equity, but without a track to follow. Secondly, a current owner of a professional services firm who really needs to get cracking with a succession and exit strategy. And thirdly, assisting an incoming equity owner to obtain the necessary finance. It was great to get Fiona's insights and suggestions on these situations. I've put contact details of Fiona in the accompanying show notes. You'll find that she's readily contactable through both the Accrue Hobart website and via LinkedIn. Mention this podcast when you speak with her, and I'm sure she'll take good care of you. In the second part of today's episode, I'd like to share details of a Slipstream Group project that is very relevant to the topic of today's episode. It's in the form of two written guides, Pathway to Equity and Pathway to Succession and Exit. Interestingly, the project initially started out as one guide, but over time it became clear that we need to split it into two to address the same issues, but from the perspective of both buyer and seller respectively. That said, the two guides have much in common. Firstly, they share the 10 element framework we have developed, which takes a buyer or a seller 
from setting initial objectives all the way through to executing a transaction. The insights for incoming equity owners on such matters as evaluating the opportunity, financial return and obtaining finance should prove particularly helpful, whilst for current owners the practical tips on aligning business and personal goals along with case study examples provide insights and attract to follow. Speaking as a coach, one of the joys of working at Slipstream is that I get to interact with the other very experienced practitioners on our team who have been there and done that themselves. Both guides contain insights and suggestions from all of our coaches, which collectively make these guides both practical and insightful. In the near future, the plan is to include some experiences of the Slipstream community in the form of interviewing those who have been through a change of ownership. We'll be incorporating their experiences into a set of video interviews to round out the resources we'll have in this area to be part of Slipstream's coaching program thereafter. We're also in the process of making a one-day workshop out of the material with the intention of making it available to the broader accounting and financial planning communities. If this is of interest, you'll find a link to register your interest in the accompanying show notes. That's the end of our show today. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you got lots out of it. In an upcoming episode, I'll be introducing Slipstream's latest business coach. It's always an exciting time when we bring a new coach into the fold and this latest addition to our team certainly brings a wealth of wonderful experience to the coaching program. Please make sure you've subscribed to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or Spotify to have this coming through on your mobile device automatically. Music for this episode is once again brought to us by Tim Lane. Thanks, Tim. Until the next episode, onwards and upwards. We all have these choices about what we're gonna do The simple fact is it's always up to you It was a long, long